Thanks for listening to the History Buff podcast with your resident history buff and Berlin tour guide, Artie. If you're enjoying the podcast, then you can really, really help us by liking and sharing the episodes on social media and rating the podcast on your streaming platform. If you'd like to see more History Buff content, then please give us a follow on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube. Links are in the show notes. Thank you for your support. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about a topic which really fascinates me. And this is the three rulers of the biggest European monarchies just before the First World War. Let's call them the Big Three. So this is George V of Great Britain, Wilhelm II of Germany, and Nicholas II of Russia. These three rulers were all related. George V was first cousins with both Wilhelm and Nicholas, Wilhelm and Nicholas were third cousins. This is due in no small part because of Queen Victoria's serial matchmaking, where she married off her children and grandchildren into monarchies all around Europe. By the end of her life, she was known as the Grandmother of Europe. Even though these three men were related, this wouldn't stop them from ending up at war with one another with disastrous consequences, not just for Europe and the world, but also for them personally. Wilhelm would end up losing his crown, fleeing into exile in the Netherlands, and Germany becoming a republic. Nicholas ended up being brutally murdered along with his family by the Bolsheviks after the Russian Revolution. George was the only one to keep his throne, however Britain was irreversibly changed because of the war, and George oversaw the consolidation of his role as a constitutional monarch. I will talk about each monarch briefly and then describe their relationship with each other. Now, just to say it is definitely my intention to make more episodes about the people and events that I will mention in this episode. But this episode is meant to just be an overview of these three monarchs. So let's start with George V. So I personally find him the most boring of the three monarchs. So he was born on the 3rd of May, 1865, as Prince George Frederick Ernest Albert Saxe-Coburg-Gorter, and he was the second son of the Prince and Princess of Wales, who would become King Edward VII and Queen Alexandra. Now, the reason George became king is because his older brother, Prince Albert Victor, who was first in line to the throne, died of influenza in 1892. So that is why George became king even though he was the second born. He reigned from 1910 until 1936. When George came to the throne, there was an ongoing constitutional crisis in Britain, and it centred on the House of Lords, the house where, back then, hereditary peers and aristocrats sat, and its power to veto bills from the House of Commons, the elected house. So you had a liberal government that wanted to abolish the House of Lords' power to veto bills in something called the Parliament Act, and the House of Lords was refusing to pass it. The Liberal government got assurances from George uh, when he became king that if the Lords didn't pass the bill, George would create enough new Liberal Lords in order to help pass it. This surprised a lot of people because many thought that George, when he became king, would be more conservative and against restrictions on the Lords and, by extension, aristocrats' power. However, ultimately, he did not need to create any more Lords as the Liberals fought and won the 1910 general election on this issue, and the Lords subsequently gave way and allowed the Parliament Bill to pass, which abolished their veto rights. 
just to give you an idea of how dull George was, um, his favourite pastimes were stamp collecting and shooting. He was one of the only three cousins not to speak any language other than English. He also had an extremely warm relationship with Nicholas. They were first cousins through their mothers, both daughters of King Christian of Denmark, and they were actually often mistaken for twins, as Nicholas and George shared an extraordinary physical resemblance to one another. At George and Mary's wedding in 1893, some of the guests actually mistook one for the other. They wrote to each other throughout their lives, with George referring to Nicholas as Dear Nicky. They both had simple tastes and were both probably more suited to being country gentlemen than rulers of empires. George's relationship with Wilhelm, however, wasn't quite so warm. They were also first cousins, but this time through Queen Victoria, who was the mother of George's father Bertie and Wilhelm's mother Vicky. George viewed Wilhelm as an arrogant and obnoxious buffoon, like most of the British family. Indeed, George's father Bertie, Wilhelm's uncle, had a terrible relationship with Wilhelm, with Bertie treating Wilhelm as a nephew rather than Emperor of Germany. Wilhelm craved acceptance from his British family because Germany had come late to the game of big European powers. He never got that acceptance, and this may have played a part in the eventual deterioration into war. Now, during the First World War, due to rising anti-German sentiment in Britain, the government advised George to change the name of the British royal family to something less German-sounding, as the family was German by blood. Therefore, in 1917, George changed the name of the family from saxe coburg gotha to Windsor, named after the town in Berkshire, where there is a castle, which is a royal residence. It's worth mentioning at this point that George was the only one of the three cousins to be a constitutional monarch. Under Britain's ancient and constantly evolving unwritten constitution, executive power has gradually moved away from the monarch and to parliament, which now holds supremacy over the crown. Therefore, since at least the early 1800s, Britain's real ruler was actually the elected prime minister and government, who exercised executive power on behalf and in name of the crown. Whilst George was able to advise and warn the ministers, he, unlike his imperial cousins, had absolutely no influence whatsoever in the day-to-day -day business of government. As I said, he was the only cousin to escape the war with his throne still intact, and this was probably due to the fact that he was a constitutional rather than autocratic monarch, but there was enormous social change in Britain after the war. Um, this is when the aristocracy really started losing their power. George also helped formalise the various duties of the modern-day British monarch as the ceremonial head of state. So, the next monarch is Wilhelm II. For me, he is actually the most interesting of the three. He was born Prince Friedrich Wilhelm Victor Albert Hohenzollern to Princess Vicky of Great Britain and Crown Prince Friedrich of Prussia on the 27th of January 1859. Because of the way he was delivered as a baby, his left arm was left permanently withered and noticeably shorter than the right. His mother tortured herself over this, often writing to her mother, Queen Victoria, back in England, saying she had failed in her most basic task to create a physically strong heir. By early infancy, it was clear that the arm was useless, and in order to try and make it work, numerous unpleasant treatments were tried, including electrocution, being placed in a body-stretching machine, binding the good arm so his bad arm would have to do the work, and finally placing his bad arm in the carcass of a freshly slaughtered animal in the hope that it would absorb some of the heat and living energy. 
Obviously, none of these archaic treatments worked. Historians agree that the trauma from having to endure these treatments whilst also having to live with a deformity almost certainly affected Wilhelm's emotional development. Wilhelm grew up with something of a split in his family. His mother and father were very liberal and ahead of their time. His mother wanted to bring British ideas of constitutional monarchy into the antiquated and conservative Prussian court. However, Wilhelm's grandfather, Kaiser Wilhelm I, and head of the family, was the embodiment of this Prussian conservatism. Therefore, Wilhelm grew up in the midst of this deep chasm that existed between these two sides. Wilhelm developed a split personality that was half liberal British and half conservative Prussian, and his reign was characterised by this internal conflict. He was one of Queen Victoria's favourite grandchildren. He always craved her and the wider British family's acceptance. However, he had the tendency to be rather brash and embarrassing at family occasions, and more than once he was reprimanded by his fearsome but adored grandmama, to whom he always deferred with the utmost respect. Despite his love for his British family, he was also jealous. He wanted a big navy like the British, he wanted colonies like the British, and in 1892 he dismissed the long-term Chancellor Otto von Bismarck and took hold of the government himself. He charted Germany on a new course, building a grand new navy and ramping up industrialisation. And this competition set the scene for the First World War. Wilhelm liked Nicholas, his third cousin, but thought that he was, quote, weak and vacillating. They had warm words for each other in letters and when they were together, but behind each other's backs, they were less gracious, with Nicholas saying after a meeting with Wilhelm in 1902 that he was, quote, raving mad. Nicholas also thought of Wilhelm as an arrogant and tempestuous fool. However, during the July crisis in 1914, which led to the First World War, Nicholas and Wilhelm, as the two monarchs with actual control over their governments and armies, sent a flurry of telegrams to each other. These telegrams, which were written in English, offer a fascinating insight into how two relatives at the very top of the imperial pecking order tried to influence events in the most informal manner, signing off as your dear Nicky and Willie. Eventually, it proves useless and Europe collapses into catastrophe. At the end of the war, with Germany about to surrender, Wilhelm abdicates the throne and flees into exile in the Netherlands, where he lives out the rest of his life, dying eventually during the Second World War in 1941. And now the final monarch, Nicholas II. So, he was born Nicholas Alexandrovich Romanov on the 18th of May 1868 to then Tsarevich Alexander III and his wife Dagmar of Denmark. He had a happy childhood until 1881 when, at the age of 12, he witnessed the brutal death of his grandfather Alexander II after he had been attacked with a bomb. His father then ascended to the throne as Alexander III and Nicholas became Tsarevich, the Russian word for heir. In St. Petersburg in 1884, at the age of 16, Nicholas met his future wife, Alex of Hesse-Darmstadt, also a grandchild of Queen Victoria, who at the time was only 12 years old. Over the next few years, Nicholas and Alex wrote to each other regularly and eventually fell in love with one another. Nicholas wanted to marry Alex, but in order to do so, Alex would have to convert to Russian Orthodoxy, which she was reluctant to do so because she was a devout Lutheran. However, she eventually caves in and they are married. Now, there's a lot to talk about with the relationship of Nicholas and Alexandra, but for this, I will make a separate podcast as there is far too much to talk about. But anyway, not long after, Nicholas's father dies relatively young and Nicholas becomes Tsar at the age of 26 and Alex becomes Tsarina Alexandra Feodorovna. 
Nicholas was terrified on becoming Tsar, so much so that he wept openly to his brother-in-law Sandro shortly after his father had died, telling him he, quote, wasn't ready to be Tsar and had no idea how to even talk to the ministers. His father had been a lot more autocratic than his grandfather, Alexander II, who had been extremely liberal and had actually abolished serfdom. Some had hoped that when Nicholas came to the throne that he would liberalise Russia, but they were disappointed when he became Tsar because he pledged to uphold the autocracy. He was a weak leader who avoided confrontation and told people what they wanted to hear, often telling a minister one thing and then another minister something different. Now, Alex bore him four daughters, Olga, Tatiana, Maria and Anastasia, but the Romanov dynasty was only secured by the male line of succession. Therefore, Nicholas needed a son. Eventually, in 1904, he gets his wish and Alexei is born. However, a few weeks later, when Alexei starts to bleed uncontrollably from his navel and it is unable to stop, they realise with horror that Alexei has inherited the bleeding disease from Queen Victoria, haemophilia. This is where his blood can't clot. So the tiniest bump or scratch could be fatal. Nicholas and Alexandra decide to keep it a strict secret and try to keep Alexei out of any possible danger. But Alexei has numerous life-threatening bleeding attacks. He almost dies several times. However, the family makes friends with a mystic faith healer called Grigory Rasputin, and his prayers always seem to help Alexei when he needs him the most, although this was almost certainly just coincidence. During the war, Nicholas went to the front with his generals and left Alexandra in charge of government, which proved to be disastrous. She took all of her advice from Rasputin. By 1917, social unrest and opposition to the war led to the revolution and Nicholas agrees to abdicate from the throne on the 15th of March 1917. At first, in March 1917, the British government, supported by George V, asked the Russian revolutionary government to allow Nicholas, Alexandra and the children to come to Britain. However, as the weeks go by, doubts start to form in George's mind, encouraged by his private secretary, Lord Stamfordham, who reminds George how unpopular the former Tsar and Tsarina are in Britain, especially with the fledgling Labour Party in Parliament. George had watched as all the great monarchies of Europe had been swept away in blood and revolution. Therefore, by April, George quietly says to the British government he no longer thinks it's a good idea, and the government quietly rescinds its offer of asylum to the Romanovs. So basically, George abandons his favourite cousin in order to save his throne. Nicholas and his family are then banished to Tobolsk in western Siberia, and then to Ekaterinburg in the Ural Mountains. It is here that Nicholas, along with Alexandra and his five children, is brutally murdered by Bolshevik guards in the cellar of an Ekaterinburg house. The story of the Romanovs is probably one of the most fascinating in history, and I will make lots of other episodes dedicated entirely to topics to do with it. But for now, I must end here. Many thanks for listening. Please do follow us on Twitter at Real History Buff or Instagram at The Real History Buff. And until next time, thank you very much. Goodbye.